Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Influence. Hi, Joss. How are you? I'm great. I'm really, really excited for this episode. Me too. Me too. We love talking about movies on this podcast. Like, we haven't done a movie episode probably since December, Joss. So it's been it's been far too long, I think. Yeah, no. And this is going to be a little different because I think the last movie episode we did, we literally just gave a full synopsis of what the movie was. So we've learned that that's probably not the best way to do um, this. So yeah, there's going to be more um, depth to this episode. (laughs) Okay, that is Joss completely calling me out because last time we did this, I came into the recording with like eight pages of notes because I just like had so many things to say. And I mean, this episode is no different, but we're taking a different, different uh, approach to this one. So um, just for anyone that doesn't know me, um, I'm Jen, podcast producer, creative project manager, and creative freelancer. And I am Joss, television producer, entrepreneur, and co-host to the podcast. (laughs) And today we're covering the new Disney movie, Turning Red. So um, if anyone hasn't seen it or doesn't know about this movie, um, Disney's recent um, animated release is called Turning Red, and it tells the story of a young girl named Mei Li who turns into a giant red panda when she gets excited enough. Described in the trailer as confident and dorky, it's a 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence, Um, which I think is kind of a fun little take on puberty and everything else that we'll get into in just a second. But Joss, do you want to do uh, the intro to our guests, please? I am so excited to introduce our guest. Uh, so today we have Kareen, and Kareen is an artist, an illustrator, and also host of the podcast, We Don't Watch Movies, where Kareen and their best friend from college talk about and judge movies they haven't seen, which I think is such a brilliant concept for a podcast to talk about something you don't know anything about. Um, so Props to you. And also, I do want to say that Kareen and I met six years ago. I cannot believe it's been six years. We worked together. And Kareen, you drew me this. I don't know if you remember, but you drew me this comic book about burnt pancakes. Yep. (laughs) And it is absolutely something I treasure and I keep in my kitchen until this day. Aw, that is so cute. It, it's I've a, never. <laughs> no, it's the it's. I've never had anyone draw something for me. Um, so it was so so special. I told Crane how I burnt a bunch of pancakes my first year in LA, and how I tried to sh- shove them all down the garbage disposal because mm-hmm. I didn't know that like what you were supposed to do with it. And she drew a whole comic of it, and it's something very precious to me. So thank you. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's rare that I hear a personal story that is just so inspiring for so many different reasons. I was like, I have to draw this. And I was like, your birthday was coming. I'm like, this is perfect. Here we go. This is... (laughs) I love it. No, but we haven't seen each other in so long. And also for anyone wondering, we have not talked prior to this podcast. So this is actually you are all witnessing and hearing the first time we are talking in six years. Yeah, and like... 
years exactly very special so let's get into turning red so um i did mention this a little bit in the intro but just for anyone who doesn't know some of the like the standouts to turning red is that it is um the, I, I gotta say it's not the first it's the second disney um film you could say to have a setting in toronto which is a big part of why it's getting a lot of media attention and it's getting a lot of um reviews on it um i say it's the second Wait, because the, the first, first one the first so I, I say it's i didn't want to say film but the first is um it's an oscar winner um animated short that's done by the same director domi shi so oh, bao. is it is yeah as i say it's bao right yeah. mm-hmm. have you watched bao yeah oh have, my have goodness have you seen it it's yeah joss have you watched it i actually i have i think i'm going to say no because i think i would remember if i did but it's you about would, the, you would know. the dumpling or the bow. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. like it's like the gingerbread boy, except it's a dumpling. Yeah. So I watched it before starting turning red, just like because I'd heard about it. I almost cried. And I was like, is this what turning red's gonna be like? Am I gonna be crying for the next two hours? Uh it's so cute and it kind of sets the stage of why this director domi she i think that's why a uh, part of the reason why she was able to create this feature is because she'd already done this this um animated short that was so well done and i don't know i like i like her style of animation um kareen you've seen it what do you think of it um i really liked it like i saw it in theaters before because it was the short before incredibles 2 so I watched it in theaters, and it was interesting seeing the different reactions to it when she, sorry, spoilers, when she eats the the bow. Um, some people in the theater, like, laughed because they didn't know how to respond to it, and there were a bunch of people who were like, why would she do that? But it's like, it's kind of the representation of she's so scared of losing him that she would rather eat him than, than lose him, right? Which I think right. if you grow up in an Asian family or any kind of family where that sense is there, but especially an Asian one from her background, like there's that fear, right, from the parent of like, I'm losing you and I'm, I'm scared I'm never going to have you again. Um, but in that case, like I really liked it. I thought the character designs were really cute. It was really refreshing and fun to see. Um, so, and I, like, when I saw the trailer for Turning Red, I instantly recognized the style. I was like, this looks like the lady who did Bao, and then it, it was, so. It's yeah, very really recognizable, really for sure, for sure, and I think, I'm glad I watched Bao before I watched Turning Red, because then knowing, like, that, that there, that even in that eight-minute short, like, there's a very clear metaphor. That's what I was looking for throughout Turning Red. And we'll get to this in a, in a, in a few minutes. But I definitely had, there's definitely a, a very unique style about Domishi. And I think it's really impressive and something I haven't really seen much of. So overall, what were your initial thoughts to this film? I personally had very high, I, I guess, high expectations. Not high expectations, but... I saw this after all of these articles came out about how people were saying it was unrelatable. So I was actively looking for that. I think it like made me see the movie differently had I gone into it not knowing what the movie was about. Um, But overall, I really liked it. I really, really enjoyed it. What about you guys? Kareen, go ahead. Oh, thanks. Uh, No, I really liked it too. Like you, Joss, I kind of saw it 
uh, after the controversies had come out, but I was already very excited to watch it. Um, and although I think I saw it right on the day, like the guy who had written that review had seen like an early screening of it. So I saw it like opening weekend when it got released. Um, and I really, really liked it. I thought it was so cute. I thought it was really relatable. Um, and I don't know if I was actively watching it, trying to see if it was or wasn't relatable, but after I watched it, I was like, okay, well, that guy is like full of shit. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I definitely enjoyed it too. I like I made some notes while I was watching. I loved this like sassy 13-year-old character. Um she like because the movie is set in 2002, which not too far off from our ages at the time. I was like I can so relate. I mean, she looked so cool being in Toronto. I was like, "Oh my god, me in the suburbs, like nowhere close to how cool she seemed to me." But I love the sassy character. I love that the start of the movie was like so eccentric like the colors and the movement like absolutely loved it i also loved all of the specific toronto settings that like maybe weren't as obvious to people who aren't from the city but there's things like there was the streetcars which like look exactly like the streetcars that go by all the time the sky dome the like the big um arena where they had the concert like that's so funny because it's not even called the Sky Dome anymore, but it was at the time. They also had yeah, like, even like the loonies and toonies when it showed the money, which is something that no one would even know about. You would just think they're coins, um, but it was specifically loonies and toonies, which only exist in Canada, which is pretty cool. Yep. Yep, and there was one. I think the, it was the scene where um, her mom was calling her for breakfast, and she was like, "She was like, um, May breakfast." And, there, and you look at t- the breakfast table. There's a box of Timbits on the table, and I was like, "Oh my god, I love this!" Like there was just so many things to love about it. I will say though. Um, I found that there was a lot of like I, I was really trying to piece together the connection parts of it like and that's just me trying to understand like where the storyline's going a little bit like I think I watch a lot of movies now and I'm trying to figure out like the pieces and the connection and the metaphors I found myself analyzing this a lot um, and I actually saw a couple like reviews that were saying that you know, you're go- that there's a lot of themes that are touched on throughout the movie, but I don't know if any of them are fully completed in a way that's like digestible. Like I think as adults, we can definitely understand what, like what message they're trying to get, but like a kid would watch it and not get really any of it, right? Like to a kid, it's like just a panda flying around, right? So that was that was one of my overall thoughts too, is that like, I thought it was fantastic, but I'm also like, there's some parts that didn't fully connect themselves to me but that's okay that's okay it's just it's, it's just a storyline what were the parts that you didn't feel were thought out or didn't connect for you well and i see and i say like when connect i mean like i wanted i wanted to understand a little bit more like the message they were trying to portray with that like so there's the storyline <laughs> of um the panda Right. And it's like, what what does the panda represent? And we can get to that in a second. And then there's a storyline of the um, of like the concert and raising money for the concert. And then there's a storyline of like the friends in the Western culture and like raising money for that and like bringing the panda to school. And like, there's a lot of things that I was like, I see where you're going with this. I see what message you're trying to do. But I don't think a couple of them were like finished. Does that make sense? 
Interesting. Okay. I I didn't read much into the la- the two latter things that you were talking about. I don't know about Ukraine. Um, the concert element. I thought they just need money to go to a concert. I didn't really think too much into that. The panda. Let's actually talk about this for a second because I was really expecting this, and I know it's a metaphor for puberty and getting your period, but that was not very obvious in my opinion. I think um, take away the scene with the pads and like, Mm -hmm. so halfway I was telling um, my husband who I just realized Kareen knows my husband and we were, (laughs) we were not even together when I was working with Kareen. Sorry. But I was, that whole saga. (laughs) I was telling Jeff, um, I'm like, did she get her period or did she not get her period? Like, I think that was a part of it where I, you know, where I say I had so much in my head going into this movie. Like, Mm -hmm. was that panda a metaphor for her period? Did she actually get her period or did she not get her period? And I genuinely am asking that. I think it's just an overall allegory for puberty. Like, I had seen, because I follow so much of animation Twitter, um, I was seeing people talking about turning red, like, leading up to it. So I knew there was a period joke going in. When someone mentioned, like, this is one of the first times I've seen in a movie where a period was even brought up, even for a joke, I was like, oh, the title, the cult, the type of panda they picked, the age, she's emotional and she has to, like, hold it in. Oh, now it's making sense of... Like, and so I went into the movie being like, okay, either the panda is like a one for one metaphor or whatever of the period, or it's just like an overall puberty thing. And there's like a period joke in there, which it turned out to me to be more of the latter. So, but mm-hmm. I think like in the title turning red, like you could make a period reference to that when the panda comes out is when she's really emotional and she's kind of pushing her boundaries a bit more, which comes more with puberty. To directly answer your question, I don't think she actually got her period. I think that's just what the parents assumed was happening. And then they were like, oh, wait, it's not your period. It's this very family-specific thing that we do. Like, that's what it is. But it's still pretty closely related to puberty, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is exciting because we don't have a lot of, like, girls going through puberty uh, stories, often it's a boy going through puberty. Like, I think that was one of the first times I had heard, your body's going through some changes, said to, like, a little cis teen girl, as opposed to, like, a boy, you know? So that was that was interesting to me. But I do think it's more of an allegory versus a one-to-one metaphor and just an overall kind of message about puberty using the panda. So I have a question on that, though. So when I was watching it, again, I'm watching it thinking, like, what would someone who's, like, seven or ten watching this, what would they think? And I'm like, if someone, if someone's parent currently explaining to their kid, don't worry, when you turn 13, you don't turn into a panda, like, that's what I'm thinking is going to happen, that, like, that, that, well, that being one instance, <laughs> like, like, there is a kid that's going to actually think they turn into a panda. Um, but on the other side of it, at one point, I was like, is this teaching girls or young people that like when your body starts to change and you start to get more emotional you have to learn to keep it all in because that was kind of what I was getting a little bit um didn't know this was going to be a whole therapy session Um, they always go back to that Joss I'm sorry no good good question I okay to answer your first question I honestly think kids are watching this 
not thinking twice about her turning into a panda or thinking that that's going to happen to them. Good. I don't. Okay. I think that is, I think that's us as adults, like now trying to unpack what it means. But I don't think it's, um, like, do kids think that they're going to become mermaids when the, actually some kids do? But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I think, I think as a child, you, I actually have a few coworkers who have kids and a lot of their kids between the ages of like five to 10 didn't finish this movie. They just didn't have the attention span for it. It's a long movie. I don't know why. Maybe maybe because there's no music and it's not like a a typical um, Pixar Disney movie. Maybe that's it. Um, Okay, but second, does this this mean that young – anyone going through puberty should keep their emotions in? That's a very interesting question. Um, what do you think, Crane? This is me throwing it to you because I don't know the answer. <laughs> I feel like the whole point of the movie is that it's okay for you to express your emotions. It's okay for you to be hairy and messy and gross and crying and all of this. Like That's like the whole point. Because her mother had been telling her, like, stay in your room, don't see anyone, like, don't see anyone like 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 this, we're going to fix it so you won't have to worry about it anymore, right? And that was what the whole family had done prior to it. But then Maylin, through the help of her friends and just herself as a person too, was like, but I like this. Like, at first I was freaked out because it's so different, but, like, now I kind of like this and there's all these benefits to it and I'm just being me and why do I need to hide this? And in the end of the movie, like, the whole acceptance, her mother being like, the farther you go, the more proud I am of you. Like, that's her being like, okay, yeah, I'm allowed to take up space. And I had actually seen earlier, I think Domishi had drawn like something like a thank you or like a little drawing or something after the movie that was basically saying like, yeah, this is a message to girls that they can take up as much space as they want, which I think especially for AAPI girls in particular, it is kind of like a point of contention, right? Like Asian women are often told to be like, be small, be like demure, be like this porcelain doll or whatever kind of bullshit. But this is like, no, you can be loud and thriving and be all a hundred percent all yourself and your parents, it might be difficult, but they will still love you. So I think the whole point of the movie is that girls can take up space and be loud and be messy and be emotional. And that's fine, especially during puberty. So that's what I think. Okay, you totally answered my question. So thank you. Crean, <laughs> <laughs> as the creator of this film, what do you think? <laughs> no, because I'm thinking, um, I'm thinking also, I'm like, if they, they chose to make the, the Red Panda big when in, in reality the pandas are small right so so i was like oh that's a really good point that they're saying take up space you are like like you know you can feel as big as you want and be as big as you want um yeah thank you i'm so glad we're doing this episode <laughs> Me too. i i did want to touch on the animation style of it um because personally when i was watching it i got a cust or i got accustomed to it, um, I felt like I had whiplash at the beginning. It's not necessarily the animation. It's just overall her personality, like how her thoughts are kind of like going all over the place, which also is a fair representation of a 13-year-old. But I would love to hear your thoughts, Corrine, in terms of like, you know, what this means for the animation um, community, having an AAPI-focused film from Disney and Pixar. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, I think, I mean, it's a big step. It's an amazing step also that it's not even just the character is Asian. Because we've had, like, Mulan, we've had Raya, you know, Moana, arguably, like, she's Pacific Islander, right? So we've had films like that. But this is the first one where it was like, not only is the main character Asian, but the director is part of the AAPI community too. And she's a woman and she's like solo directing this movie. And there were a lot of other people like behind the camera were also Asian, Asian Pacific Islander, etc. So I think that's really important. And I think it's a really good step for other large studios to kind of follow in, you know, because there's a lot of smaller artists, smaller indie artists, smaller works of art and comics and animation and art in general, um, featuring, you know, Asian leads or Asian girl leads or whatever. Um, but those are small and people don't know them as much. Right. But in terms of mainstream representation, I think this is a really huge step and I really hope Disney and Pixar and DreamWorks and et cetera continue going this way. And we've already been seeing it. It's kind of like the latest in a series of trends. Like Abominable was another example. Um, was it Over the Moon or To the Moon, I think, was another one. But again, this one, it's like now it's an Asian woman director making the film. And it lends itself this extra layer of authenticity and this fresh perspective. And I think that is like the most exciting part of it. So that hopefully more diverse directors can be given these films and we will get more interesting stories with different art styles and such. And speaking of animation style, I thought it was so refreshing, the character design, the female face shapes were all very different and diverse, which is something that has been criticized of Disney before. The girls were allowed to look ugly. The mother was allowed to look ugly when she was emotional. They were allowed to emote fully and look cartoony. And that was something that was just so really fun to see. So I'm hoping that Disney and other big major studios will continue giving more diverse and marginalized creators a chance to show their story and share their stuff. And that people who see this may also go looking for other things like this and maybe reach out more to indie creators or look more into smaller shows or creators that maybe might not get that same platform as Disney. So I think it's a pretty good step and focus overall. You know, I think it's a good direction overall. Mm -hmm. That's actually a really good point, though, when you were talking about how the women or the girls don't always look pretty. I didn't think about that. I don't know, Jen, if you noticed that. But I mean, I'm also thinking specifically about her friend i don't know what her name is but she was like the little the little girl oh, with the bag. Abby? yeah <laughs> like her face was crazy and i'm i'm into it <laughs> oh she was so like her character was so eccentric i actually like looked at her and i was like you remind me a lot of myself when i was younger just like just in the sense that she just had this like wacky attitude about her and i thought she was very entertaining to um to watch to that same point though um I wanted to add is that like I, I saw the representation of culture, especially in the beginning of the movie, so well done. Like I actually wrote like I think it was like like maybe two or three minutes in when they're showing the family prepared dinner, and it was like the colors and the shots and it, there was such a focus in setting up the importance of culture in the movie, and I, I just don't think you see that as often. I actually struggle with this in 
in general with AAPI-focused films. Um, Because on one hand, I think it's so great that we're promoting culture and, like, other people's cultures. But at the same time, I'm like, do we have to use this as a crutch? I don't know if crutch is the right word either, but um, can't can't they just be Asian? Like, do we have to focus on their culture? Like, yeah. I feel like that's the only way you can pull off an AAPI-focused film. Do you? Yeah, no, I, I totally get where you're coming from, Joss. That was something my sister had actually said, bef- like, way before the movie was coming out. Um, but she was kind of saying, like, oh, I'm not sure because it seems like another Asian movie where it's all about the fact that she's Chinese, you know? Like, they're just throwing in every Asian thing possible. And that is a really excellent point because even then all the Asian films that we've had that are animated often rely heavily on the cultural thing. And it would be nice if it could just be like, ah, they're just Asian and like stuff is happening. I think the closest thing we've had was Big Hero 6, but it would be great if we had more. Like on one hand, I really enjoy seeing culture represented on the screen. I think that's really great and fun. And I know a lot of people really do want to see more of that. But on the other hand, it would be nice if it was like the main character is Asian and we see little bits and pieces in the background, but it is more than them being Asian. Yeah. It's like when you have a character in a show that's gay and their only storyline is that they are gay. Like, can't they just be gay and then have a regular storyline, you know, I think, Mm -hmm. but I mean, we're all, we're getting there. I think this is, you know, we need to take these steps, but I mean, it's good that Jen, you not being Asian have seen this and like can appreciate that. So I think I, depending on who you are, you view things differently. So that is, that is good that you saw it that way. I thought it was beautiful. So, and it really stood out to me. So I hope other people had the same kind of um, experience with it. One thing I wanted to also talk about was just the media and how, like Joss, as you said, like you you kind of found out it had been released because of the reviews and stuff that had come out the day it came out. So it's only been out for a couple of weeks now. Um, but one noticeable thing is that the managing director who worked on the on the on the film called it, um, I think he called it unrelatable was the was the word that he he used to describe the film and a lot of people obviously did not like that and they said it was racist and it was rude and i completely agree with people saying that just to set this at the stage um and since then the, that review has been taken down there has been stuff since that talk about you know the film's not for everyone but what but what the what this particular review that has now been taken down said that they found that Domishi made content for like her friends and like it's not really a national audience. What do you guys think about that? Kareen, how about you? <sighs> tell me tell me you've never spoken to or interacted with a girl or woman without telling me you've never spoken or interacted <laughs> with a girl or woman. Like, have you never gone into a grocery store and seen the pads aisle? Like you you never had Asian food. You've never seen like a woman in your life. You don't have kids. You've never interacted with someone's daughter. Like, excuse me. Like that. That was what I thought. And watching the movie really solidified it. Like I watched it with my partner, who is like a cis straight white guy, and he loved it. And like my brother, who obviously is also half Asian, but like he's another cis straight guy, he also really liked it. So it's like this guy. If he didn't like it, fine, but he made it more about, instead of taking responsibility for him not liking it, he made it at, well, if I didn't like it, no one else is going to like it. And it's like, I have a problem with that. I just strongly disagree <laughs> with what he said. 
I agree. Also, like, there are so many Disney Pixar movies. Like, do you relate to being a toy? Like, I just don't. Like, do you relate to being exactly a, a bug? fish? Like, <laughs> like what you, you know, it's like this. I, that just blew my mind. Like, I'm sorry, he did <laughs> yeah, not see himself like the- directly, and therefore he was insulted. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. it's it's just even like the whole like maybe the most Asian aspect, which is like her working at a temple, right? Like what you you've never had like a family business or known someone who worked for a family business like that's not culturally tied. And like even jumping off of the oh, can we not have like an Asian film where it's not like about the Asianness? I did feel like this movie was not a hundred percent about the Asianness either. You know, it was just like she's Asian and things are happening, and maybe it's a little like it's not just like a background thing, but it's still like. It's still relatable, I feel like. And it doesn't need to be 100% relatable either for you to relate to different parts of the movie. Like, we've had movies about mermaids and superheroes and lions and white guys and white women. And, like, no one has had a problem with that, especially the ones, the countless movies we have about straight white guys. Suddenly we have one where it's not about that and it's a problem. Like, come on. This is the kind of guy who's uncomfortable talking about periods, and um, yeah. I fear for his potential wife or kids that might need to talk to him about it someday, because if you can't talk to your partner about puberty and periods, you have a problem. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. Exactly. I also want to talk about um, a, th- a theme that was brought to my attention. I think it was through a tweet. I don't even remember. Um But before I forget, okay, so everyone who knows me um, knows I'm, like, a very big fangirl. I'm a part of, like, Discord, like, fan groups. But I thought the the very small theme of, like, fandom friendships was actually really, really cool because I personally, like, I don't know – about the two of you, but if like I have my community for things that I love and I think that that is a different type of friendship that is so strong. And I thought it was really cool that that was represent represented in this movie. So I just wanted to give a shout out to that little theme and that little nugget that happened. <laughs> um, also, can we talk about, cause I want, I do want to unpack this, her mom, because I personally very much related to that. And I don't know if it's cause my mom's Asian, like, or, you know, whatever. But I thought the scene where she goes back into, what is it, the mirror? They were in that, like, fantasy. The forest, yeah. The forest, and she sees her mom as a child. I thought that was a really interesting choice. Um, And since we're talking about themes, metaphors, why do we think that that was chosen? And what do we think that means to have to have her see her mom as a child versus her mom? Have we thought about this? I mean, I cried during that scene. (laughs) It made me think of my mom as a child and all the time. Yeah, it made me think of my mom. Yeah, I think it's like it's like the generational trauma part of it. Right. Like, Mm. it's this kind of childhood wound, and they both went through puberty. And, like, everyone who goes through puberty, like, the kid is going to rebel. They're going to push your limits. They are trying to become their own person, right? And you can either let them do that, or you can try to control them. And if you try to control them, it's going to be even harder, right? And it's, like, 
I feel like it was kind of a way to help visually represent how hurt she still is from her damaged relationship with her mother and how she still isn't fully healed from it, isn't fully over it, how she feels internally, like the inner child kind of thing represented like on screen. Like that was kind of how I saw it and how Maylin helps her mom kind of heal and process through that childhood wound through what she's going through right now as a kid, you know? So that was that it, at this current moment, that is what I think about that particular scene. Maybe I'll have different thoughts if I, after I think about it a bit more, but that's kind of what I think. Yeah. I, sorry. I threw that one at everyone. It was just something I thought of <laughs> right now. I'm glad you went first, Karina, Cause I was like, I don't even think I know my answer. Oh my goodness. But actually now that I'm saying that, I feel like it, it was, um, it provided some clarity in the sense that like there's these generations of you know the mom um the grandmother that uh, like it's very it's obvious they've all gone through it so she's able to be like they've gone through it too and they're okay and they'll be fine and everything like that and i did like the fact that in the end she chooses not to get rid of her red panda and to own this own this life that she has with it in the sense that she's like making up her own um, combination of her family's history and then Western culture as well. So I, I really, I, I really did like that scene and like what that scene kind of represented. Like, I think I had to watch it a couple times to like actually realize what was being said, but I did like the, the fact that she was not, um, not legit, not saying that like the, that the family tie wasn't important is that the family tie is so important to her that she wants to make sure she can do it in a way that works for her and her individuality. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. Also, you can't take this too literally because then it's like, so she's just deciding to keep her period. Like, you know, like, (laughs) like, I don't know where the disconnect is for people because like, it's not, it's but like, like Josh, that's the whole point about like, like me being allegory. like, like we didn't we didn't totally finish some ideas because if the red pan is the period and you keep your period, like what? Like I think that's why I, I was. But tra- that's the thing. I think they put that in our head by they. I mean, the media they put that in our head yeah. that this was a direct um, metaphor for getting your period, which it yeah. is not. But it's it's not. It's just it puberty. Not. In, and, like, her family has this literal, you can turn into a panda thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something you said, Jen, I thought was really interesting, where it was, like, she's, through, like, Western, like, values or influence or whatever, she's choosing to accept the panda. It's so interesting, though, because the panda was originally, like, they kept it when they were still living in China. So it's almost, like through Western influence of her living in Toronto and having friends and such, she's kind of like not doing what her previous family had done, but she's still reconnecting with these Asian roots, right? She's reclaiming the Mm -hmm. panda that like the original ancestor had. And I think that's also kind of relatable for a lot of um, American born Asian kids where it's like, they're raised in the U.S., so they have a different perspective of looking at things. But I know there are so many of them who have reconnected with a certain part of their culture or their Asian roots 
and they put their own kind of flair or touch on it or own perspective on it through like that Western melding. So it's kind of mm-hmm. this, you get this fusion, whether it's through food or art or whatever, which I think is very exciting. So right. yeah. it wasn't something I had thought about prior, but then when you said that, I was like, oh, wait, but the panda is literally an expression of like, some passed down ancestral thing but she's reconnecting with it whereas the previous you know so i thought that was it's, that's cool that she put i think that the reco- sure i think the term reconnection relates very strongly to it yeah for sure for yeah. sure i think the term reconnection is key there is that it's not that it was ever fully gone but i don't think she realized mm-hmm. the significance until like all the influences kind of around her so very yeah. interesting okay yeah. what would you guys have done differently if you had to do anything differently about the movie I I don't think I would have done anything differently aside from how it, the film was marketed. I just think it's unfortunate how this is how it's gotten eyes on it and like this is why people are watching it um because, you know, I think it was miscommunicated what this movie was about, which which like me led to confusion of what this movie really meant. Um, But in the movie itself, I wouldn't do anything differently. I thought it was a very well done movie. Yeah, I think the only thing I would change is maybe having Tyler formally apologize to Malin and then she apologizes back to him because they just kind of see him at the boy band concert and they're like, oh, I didn't know you were a fan. Now, Now you're a friend with us. But like the last time he had seen her, she was like, jumping on him and scaring him and stuff so like that transition of like she's scaring the shit out of him and he feels awful and she feels awful too okay well now we're friends again felt a little like they're just friends because they're fans which like maybe it is as simple as that for kids but it would have i think i would have been nice if there was like some moment of like i'm sorry i was a jerk and like oh i'm sorry i was a jerk too and and then like they move forward but that's probably the only thing i would have wanted a little more closure on Mm mm-hmm Okay, I like that, I also, actually. I quickly do want to say, it reminded me of that scene where her mom blamed her friends um, and she didn't say anything, which I was like, bitch, I mean, can you please? <laughs> and then I was like, you know what? That was me when I was a kid. I was like, mom, mm-hmm. it wasn't me. They forced me to do it. Like, <laughs> you know, like, and so I think that actually is, a fair representation of what happens when you're that age. As an adult, mm-hmm. I was like, hello. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just thought about that. Is that why your mom didn't like me for so long, Joss? Like, wow, it really comes together now. <laughs> Karina, you don't know this, I mean, but Joss and I have been friends since we've been like 10. Oh yeah. my goodness. As a child, I would always blame my friends. It was like, it wasn't me. It was like, they wanted to do it. Like, they they. I don't know. They wanted to go to the mall and not ask our parents. <laughs> <laughs> not it was them not me. asking they you. Tracked me. I was going to call you, actually, but they threw my phone away. So. <laughs> exactly. Um, Jen, what would you change? I think the only thing that I thought was like a bit like confusing beyond repair is what I'm going to say is the part when the mom's panda comes and like storms the sky dome. 
for some reason so that funny. stressed me out beyond belief. I was like, why are you breaking this massive concert venue because you're mad at your daughter? And why do you have to perform the ritual in the Sky Dome? And also listen, at the listen. very end, hold on, at the very end, they have a Sky Dome rebuild budget. And I was laughing so hard at that, by the way. No, but listen, yeah. when that happened, I was like, yo, they're really going to have these two fight each other. I thought that's like where this is going. I thought it was a showdown between her and her mom, like, like superhero style. Like they were going to fight each other. I was like, wow, we're really going here. Like they, this took a turn. I wish yeah, I, I, I think it needed to the, happen. It, it needed to, I, I knew the mom was going to go full panda by the end of the movie and that they were going to duke it out. But I was like, oh, here we go. Kaiju movie. And then like the boy band <laughs> members that were like dangling off the ceiling. Oh my, I was losing it because they were there for like a full 15 seconds of the movie in the background of like five different shots. Just like, help me. And I'm like, someone get them down. (laughs) But that's what I'm saying. It was a whole stressful point of the movie that like that whole scene was like 20 minutes long of them fighting each other in the Sky Dome. And I was frankly like, this could have happened elsewhere. Like, why did you have to break (laughs) the Sky Dome for this? No, I loved it. I loved that. (laughs) Um... Okay, also shout out to the dad who did nothing. Well, okay, not nothing. <laughs> he, he went to his daughter's room and had, had that one conversation. Line. But no, we didn't hear him talk before that. But I thought that was, it's something that went unnoticed for me until I had to look back. But I think that's really refreshing in a history of Disney movies where the mom is always dead and it's just a mm-hmm. single dad. So I thought that was a really interesting choice of having the dad just really be there and not be crucial to the storyline you know yeah i thought it was fine it was he was kind of the emotional support character for the daughter and you could make the argument for the mom even though it isn't as seen you know but i thought i thought it worked i was like okay he's he's just there he cooks and he's he <laughs> Did he, you guys he doesn't have a problem with his daughter doing this. And yeah, he's he's all cool. That, I'll, so. Although, did you guys see the bonus scene at the end of the credits? Yeah, there was a post credit. <laughs> there was a post credit scene with what? the dad. No. Yeah. Does he YouTube turn into it. a panda? No, no, no. He's a he's, just he's like a, a four town along to the to the music. Yeah, he's like a four town fanatic. Love that love that for him. <laughs> love that. <laughs> Uh, um, okay. Well, I feel like we could talk about this for a very long time. We could really unpack this movie, um, Mm -hmm. more in depth, but, uh, we should probably wrap this up. Um, so we always end every episode talking about one thing, person, place, or thing that is influencing the most this week. So Jen, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. What is influencing me this week? This is kind of silly. I hate when I always have TV shows that are influencing me, but I have one once again. Um, I just watched, and everyone seems to be watching this too, Bad Vegan. Um, the like the new like documentary series. There's a whole I heard like, it was I I heard it was quote worse than Tinder Swindler. It is worse than Tinder Swindler. And I've been talking about it with a lot of people because now I've watched both of them and it's ridiculous. Um, I think it's a first, the first like um, 
because they have these like crime documentaries things that like, I mean I shouldn't even call it crime documentaries but like that's what that's what it kind of feels like. it's like a like, like a ridiculous story that's a crime documentary tinder swindler you felt bad for all the girls they were fucked it sucked I feel bad for them bad vegan I don't feel bad for her at all she did a dumb <laughs> she did dumb stuff she is yeah she didn't listen to like anyone and she's just like but he told me he'd make my dog immortal and we're like no one feels bad for you <laughs> So, yeah, that's the one thing now. I mean, now I've been having a lot of conversations about it. Wow. Um, okay. You didn't really sell it to me, so no, I don't know. don't worry. <laughs> no one said that, like, the influence had to be a good thing, so this one's currently a bad thing. Let's just say that. But, um, <laughs> Joss, how about you? What's currently influencing you? Okay, I did have one thing, but now I have two, and I'm just going to say two things because I'm going to break the rules. Um, okay, the first is when you said TV show, I just remember what I'm watching, and it's called Severance, and I don't know if anyone's seen it or watched it. It is, it's with Adam Scott and Patricia Arquette. It is this insanely good, like, cerebral show. Um, it's essentially the concept is you go under this operation, um, if you choose to do so, and you are one person at work and you leave work and you forget everything that you did at work and then you have your personal life. And when you go to work, you forget everything that's going on in your personal life. So you don't know if you have kids, you don't know if you have a family, if, you have, if you're married, and you also don't know what you do at work. So you kind of live two separate lives. I think it's really well done. Okay. The next thing is I just finished my first book in 24 hours, which is Normal People by Sally Rooney. And I think it's so good, but I know I've been keeping everyone updated that I've been reading more. Um, this is my 12th book this year, and I finished in 24 hours, and I've never done that ever. So it was just a really, really good book, and it was a really incredible feeling to just not be able to put a book down. Um, so yeah, that's mine. Okay, Kareen, what's yours? Um, I'm going to go with the... America is doing a U.S. version of Eurovision, which is America's song contest or whatever, and they just <laughs> released the first episode. I did not watch the first episode, but I listened to all the songs, and I've got opinions, and I'm also really excited because I love Eurovision, so I'm really excited for this American version of it. Um, yeah, I would say I would say that one. The Oklahoma rep is like a k-pop idol kind of person who's also half korean and she like came back and just like blew everyone away so i'm really excited for her so yeah that's that's what i would say is influencing me this week that's so fun have you seen them like the, you've seen the netflix movie right like the i haven't i keep meaning to and then <sighs> i forget but you then I, I really do want to see it though okay add that to your list because I, I i that made me love it watching the netflix movie <laughs> mm-hmm Oh, see, if we're talking about things that we couldn't relate to, I could not relate to that movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is wild. So It's wild. I'm sure yeah. I'm offending Europeans <laughs> by saying this. <laughs> cut it out. Cut it out, Jen. Cut Probably. it. Probably. <laughs> but it's okay. I, I'll think about it. Anyways, um, Kareen, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. It was so fun to get your thoughts no on problem. it. No um, problem. Thank so you for having me. You. Um, yes, great to meet you and great to talk to Joss again. For sure. Oh, this was so nice. We should um, actually see each other in person when you come yeah. down here. Um, I'll let you know but, when I'm back. Yes. But also, um, don't forget to listen to Kareen's podcast. We will link everything below. And um, 
I'm going to listen and hear you talk about movies that you don't know anything about. Because you do yep. a very good job about talking movie, talking about movies that you do know about. Thank that you. Was, that wasn't proper <laughs> English. It's fine. <laughs> um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Influence. As always, please find us on Instagram and TikTok at InfluenceThePod and leave us a podcast review on your favorite podcasting platform. See you next week.